0: Amen. Thanks, Katie. Well, hey, before Beth jumps in, if I haven't met you before, my name is David Smith. And uh, you I think you guys got a flyer. They, the don't, they don't care about me. They just want to hear you. They're just when, like, get no. off the stage. I
1: kind of think, I mean, if you're hardy enough, enough of a group to go to church on a cold morning when he says, hey, I'm David Smith, like, you know, yay. Yeah. 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 Thank you.
0: She, she just knows how insecure I am and knows I need that from time to time. Um, Why am I up here? Oh yeah, so you guys, did you guys get a flyer on the way in today? I don't see any flyers anywhere. Okay, so we had like one or two left. Well, they're about mission trips. And so I'm up here to tell you that we have some more spots left for our mission trips for this year. And if you are new and you've never been on a mission trip here at North Star, there is a $750 discount scholarship that you will get to go on one of the back-to-back trips. If you've not met Beth before, not only she and our teaching team, but with back-to-back ministries. And uh, we would love, love for you just to think about it, to pray about it, come find Beth or myself afterwards. We'd love to tell you all about these trips. For me, my life changed on a mission trip. It was 1998, I was in India, and God used that trip to shape the rest of my life. And for some of you, you may go on a trip and you may not have that moment, maybe between you and the Lord, but you may have it with somebody else. The community that is built on these trips Like get in a pathway group, go to Watermark, do all the things we're talking about. But if you wanna come back knowing people and having community in this church, A mission trip is probably the best way to do it. The Lord has used it to build the backbone of my faith. The trips I've gone on over the years, I am not going to brag about how many trips I've been on because Beth is standing next. You've probably gone on (laughs) 500 more trips than I have, but I've been on a lot. I met you on
1: a trip. That's how I met you. You did? I met you on a trip.
0: (laughs) And that is. You never know what could happen. It is so foundational just so many of the people I know in my life who I look at, I admire. They've been on trips and they've done and seen things that the Lord's used to bless them. Second thing is that Beth is here today, which is exciting. So you guys may know Beth is here on a regular rotation. She speaks. If you guys clap for her and don't you, I heard somebody clapping. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you dare. And uh,
1: like he's being funny. I love this. Uh, so, yeah, good job. Uh,
0: I had a coke in between, so I am <laughs> I am buzzing. She's got a new book out, and I am almost through that new book. And uh, anytime she writes and has a new book that comes out, we wanna make sure you guys can stop by The Wooden Tables. And it is a fascinating read on the existence of UFOs in biblical times. So if you guys have not, that's not her, that's her next book. He's
1: not actually read it, huh? No. It is
0: uh, on the call of women that God has, and this actually can be a controversial topic in churches, um, but I was telling her this morning, it is so healthy, so biblical, and is not, just for women. I would encourage everyone to check it out. Just a fantastic read. Uh, Beth has been speaking all over the globe for many years, honing her craft and we get the benefit of it. And I know she would probably never say this, but there are obstacles that Beth deals with being a female communicator that probably for some of you is hard to imagine. And so thank you for persevering and doing what you do because it has impacted, blessed me and I know all of you. As well, so we pray, yeah. and we'll get out of your way. So Father, thanks for Beth. Thanks for this uh, just incredible gift you've given her. I pray that as you continue to grow it and cultivate it, as we are the recipients of it, those who are blessed, uh, Father, let just all of us lean closer to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.:
1: Amen. Oh, I just want to echo two thoughts see how before we jump into today's message. One is, if you're looking for a 2024 adventure, I think a mission trip is a great place for you too meet people, participate in what God's doing somewhere around the world, explore new gifts. God does more than one thing at a time. So you go on a mission trip, imagining the ways in which you're gonna impact a population that God has given you a heart for. But the truth is he ends up giving more back to you than you end up pouring out. It's a gift, It's, the only, it's there's like no way to understand the spiritual math that you can come home from a mission trip rested, but you do. You get rest in a, in a way, in a place that you wouldn't normally. So I just encourage you to come up. He's going to kick me off. It's the David and Beth show today. All right.
0: 2024 Silverado. uh, License plate HWP5412. The police are about to tow your car. Oh, sad. This is what happens here sometimes. Don't be embarrassed. Tim, any more thoughts we've got? Police are here. 2024 Silverado hwp5412 the
1: church will pay your toe
0: what happens trust. is my neighbor seriously this is yeah we'll, yeah whatever I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But uh, so i live right there and the neighbors hate when we accidentally yeah. park on the wrong side so if that's you just go move it right now go park in the grass i'll show you where to go nobody
1: okay well just like let's not make them stand up i'll just keep talking yeah, don't stand go to the bathroom in a minute and all uh, right Find him out there in the back. <laughs> be good. God bless. Okay, yeah, go, go get a cup of coffee, you know, with your keys. I mean,
0: it's The not second that thing I just wanted to
1: say about what David was sharing um, about women and leadership and church and all of that is I actually resisted for a very long time writing anything about this. Even when I got asked to do it, I used to have this line I thought was funny, like, hey, you know what, I don't need to explain it. If he can talk out of rocks and donkeys, he can talk out of women, you know. And, um, but... Here's what happened. I recognize that what happens in this church is unique. This is a safe place for women to use their gifts. Uh, David and Matt were, are, were safe people for me to practice my my skills and to, to stretch and, and, to, and to ask God what he might have for me, but not every place is like that. And we have an emerging generation of women who are thinking there is no place in the capital C church for me to use my gifts. Meanwhile, the world is telling them they can do whatever they want to out there. And so I just wanted to write an honest, healthy description of what that journey has looked like for me. So the North Star is on almost every page. So you'll, uh, you'll recognize it. Okay. Happy new year. I'm, I'm one of those weird people. I don't know who likes new year's resolutions, but I am one of those people that I like them. I like renewing and reviewing and resetting and, and, and just taking stock and all the areas that we make our New Year's resolutions in, right, we, we, we count how many steps we're making every day and how many calories we're taking in our mouth and we're taking a look at our Christmas debt and all the areas of our life that might need a reset or a review we're doing. And so this morning and in this Be Like Jesus series, I'm just inviting you to do this in your in the area of your spiritual health. And we're gonna be asking ourselves, what kind of priority, what kind of protections are we putting around our relationship with the Father? And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to observe all over the Gospels ways in which he regularly protected and prioritized his connection with the Father. And so the question is, am I? And last week, David kicked the series off by talking about baptism and sonship. And this week, the, the team here has asked me to dive into the topic of wilderness. What does it look like in the middle of a story I don't like and I can't control and I don't know how to get out of Do I prioritize my relationship and connection with my Father? What does that look like? Jesus, we know the first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. How is it that we keep the first thing first? How do, in the middle of all the pressure that hard stories put on us, do we make sure we're still loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength? Today in Matthew chapter four, we're gonna read about how Jesus goes into a literal wilderness. But when I talk about wilderness or desert in this time together, I'm talking about seasons and circumstances when you feel overwhelmed with need. When you might be asking yourself questions like, can I make it through this? Is there enough of what I need to meet my needs? And when is it gonna be over? When will this end? When will I stop feeling this way? I don't know if you have any friends here at the new year that is doing that 75 hard challenge. One of them invited me to do it with him. And I said, can we just like rebrand it? Like 75 hard, who in the heck wants to sign up for hard? Like, like we, we typically hear about a circumstance that's hard and we think, how do I distance myself? How do I avoid that? How do I get myself out of something like that? And it can be hard even in church to talk about our wildernesses or our deserts because it sometimes feels like here we're supposed to put our best <laughs> foot forward. Like in, in church you're supposed to talk about God in terms of rainbows and unicorns and like God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And, and there isn't any place that we should feel safer to talk about our wilderness and deserts than here because the human experience says if you're not in a wilderness now, then you have been or you will be. This is, this is the good news about being a human. Just kidding. <laughs> so what did Jesus do in the hard? If we're gonna be like Jesus, we wanna be like him. Honestly, when I get in the hard, it can be tempting to just wanna reward myself with something that makes me feel good. So I feel relief from the circumstances or, or I can get critical or judgmental or I can get, uh, I can have fantasies of escape, or I can get bitter about my circumstances, or I can isolate, or I can have feelings of fear, or inadequacy, or anxiety, or despair. And it can feel like in the middle of a desert, like God has left us, or He's not listening, or where's the power He talks about. But the truth is, it is in the desert, it is in our wilderness, that we uniquely can hear God speak. It's where God literally took Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jesus, so they could hear him. And, and part of the clue to why that happens is comes from the word in Hebrew that we translate equally into English, desert and wilderness. They both come from the same word and that word in Hebrew is midbar. And midbar means literally the place of the word, right? God speaks to us in the place of the word. We, in our desperation, we, we cut out all the noise and we just wanna know, can we trust you? Can we hold on to you? Is what you say is true? Do you have enough to help me right now? Will you be my living water? I'm hungry. Will you be my bread? Will you be my shade? The sun is hot. One time I was in the Israeli desert, and um, I was with my 20-year-old son, and the the guide had told us, hey, like, this is all the water you're getting today. There's no place to stop in the middle of the day. We're going to be in the desert all day, so be thinking about your intake. Like, drink a little bit in the morning and a little bit at lunch and a little bit in the afternoon and save a little bit for the end. And I'm an adult and I was listening to the instructions and I was doing exactly what they said. But my 20 year old son was like kind of, maybe not even totally listening. And he was climbing on rocks and jumping off of things. And he drank his water by 10:30 in the morning. So at lunchtime he's like, hey, hey mom, can, can I have some of your water? And I was like, no, you can't have any of my water. I mean, this is a child with whom I would jump in front of a car for, right? He could have any of my organs. Like, you would, my maternal instinct is strong, but so was my need to survive. And when he asked me for water, I'm like, no, you, I mean, yes, of course I gave him my water. But like, in the wilderness, your needs feel acute, right? And you want to protect what you have. You kind of hunker down. And I also want to say, just in case this is your mental picture, when I used to read the Bible and read that God, you know, that Jesus was led into the desert, in my mind it kind of looked like the Sahara, or the pictures I've seen of the Sahara, where there's just sand dune after sand dune as far as the eye could see, and that the chief feeling I might feel in a place like that is hopelessness, because no matter how far I walk, it doesn't feel like I could ever get to the end of that. But actually, the desert of the Holy Land is wilder than that. There are mountains and rocks and caves, and the truth is you can't really see what's coming around the bend, and the chief emotion you have in the desert is anxiety. Like, what's coming at me next? I don't know what's around the corner. How how do I prepare for what I don't even understand is headed my way? And the desert is where God took his people to woo them. I mean, we see that even as early as Hosea, I'm going to allure her, he says, meaning Israel. I'm gonna lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And my chief objective can sometimes be like, how do we get out of this as fast as possible? But God's chief objective in the wilderness and the desert is always gonna be relationship. He's looking to strengthen his relationship with us. Uh, There's a story in Exodus 19 I think about often, Moses' life, of course, was 120 years divided into three 40 year periods. So in Exodus 19, he's 80 years old. So just get in your mind a picture of an 80 year old man. And God says to him in Exodus 19 from the top of a mountain, Would you come up here? I've got something I'd like to say to you. And if I was Moses, I might be thinking to myself, Hey, you know what? I'm 80. And if I can hear you from down here, tell me to come up. Whatever you have to tell me, I can hear you just fine. Just tell it to me down here. I actually, I'm not interested in walking up 6,000 feet, right? But of course Moses isn't feisty like that, so he, he obeys. He gets to the top of that mountain and the Lord gives him the message. He called him up there to, to give and he said, I want you to go down and deliver this to my people and then come up and tell me how it goes. Again, if I was Moses, I'd be like, hey, you're God, just like watch. Like, I'm not gonna come back up here. Like, just pay attention down there. You can see how it goes. But Moses obeys. He goes down the mountain, delivers the message to God's people, then he climbs up that mountain for the second time, which would have been hard at 80 years old. I'm, I went up a mountain much like that. I was half of Moses' age. And I told Todd, my husband, halfway up it, like Jesus himself better be at the top of this thing because this is hard. Like, <laughs> This is hard. He gets to the top of the mountain for the second time. Lord says, I'm glad you're here. Because I have something I want to tell Aaron. Could you go down and get him and bring him back up? (laughs) If I was Moses, I'd be like, Hey, you're God, you've actually always known you've wanted to talk to Aaron. So you could have told me either of those two times before. He might have even been helpful, but Moses doesn't disobey. He doesn't talk back. He goes down that mountain, collects Aaron, and I want you to just for a minute imagine what the conversation was like between the Lord and and Moses on his third time up the mountain. I think he would have literally needed him for every single step. I think that's what God's looking for in our wilderness, in our desert. He's looking for us to be so desperate for him. We need him for every single step. And I think if I could just call Moses up onto the stage and interview him and say, hey, hey, what do you remember about that third trip up the mountain? Like, what, When you look back on that walk, that hike, what did, what's your memory of it? I wonder if Moses would even look back fondly at it. We can even look back on some of our desert experiences with fondness, not because it was any fun to be in the desert, but because we experienced firsthand what it was like to have God meet our needs. We tasted his bread when we needed it. We drank the water when we were thirsty. He wooed us out there. We heard him. There wasn't so much noise and we know and we'll learn here in a minute, the desert, the wilderness is a place that we are tested to see what it is that's in our hearts. Moses was certainly tested in that Exodus 19 passage. Two chapters later, Moses is gonna go up another mountain and come down with the 10 commandments, a story we're all still talking about today. He demonstrated, I don't talk back. I don't have a better idea. I don't, I'm don't. i not gonna rely on my own. I'm not gonna say no to you, God. If you have something for me, I'm in. We'll read in today's passage, Matthew four, it starts out when Jesus was led by the spirit, which that like arrested me right there. I was like, oh Lord, you knew exactly where you were going and you allowed the Lord, you allowed the spirit to lead you into the wilderness and to face your enemy. Like, the question I've been asking myself is, will I allow him to lead me anywhere? Will I tell him, hey, I'm looking on my GPS and this route over here is actually faster. Like th- that route looks like it's got a bunch of red lines in it. Over here, it looks like it'd be a little clearer. Can we go this direction? Will I just follow him? They followed him, well, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I just wanna say, again, right from the beginning as we're painting pictures in our mind, these are not rivals of the same size. Sometimes when we see images of spiritual warfare, we get these pictures like the one I have here behind me, where like, like, who knows who's gonna win? In fact, the devil's muscles look a little bit bigger than Jesus is in that picture. And you're wondering at the edge of your seat, does Jesus have what it takes? These are not rivals of the same size. In fact, in Exodus chapter eight, one of the passages I bring to my own mind frequently It's a passage and it's in the let my people go story with Moses and Pharaoh and Pharaoh is frustrated by the plagues that he's experiencing and the discomfort it's bringing him. So he brings his magicians together and he says, hey, could y'all come up with a plague as cool as the plagues of the God of Moses? Because I'd like our people to understand that our power is as strong as the power being demonstrated by the God of Moses. And those magicians come back and say, hey, guess what? Like all of our power combined does not compare to the power that's found in the finger of their God. So as Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted by the devil, he's fully man, but I don't want you to get any ideas that these are rivals of the same size. Jesus has all the credentials and all the authority for the mission he's about to undertake. And really he wants us to know, (laughs) we do too. And I think he didn't include this story in the Bible so that we could see that he was greater than the devil. He's gonna do that in a couple chapters later in a very spectacular way. I think he was saying, hey, I want you to know, I'm gonna put this on display. When the enemy comes for you and your wilderness, do this. I'm gonna show you right now what to do. This is how you handle this. And I I also just wanna be clear here at the very beginning of the chapter, in case I hear sometimes people get this like a little, this like word kind of messed up and they think that, that God allowed, that God tempted Jesus. Um, the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us. James 1 tells us that, right? We can't, when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. But while the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us, he may lead us to a place where we will be tempted. And it's not so that he can, we are proving something to him. He knows all things. He can already read our heart. He's showing us. He's, he's allowing something to be proven to us, what the power of God can do through us. And he's also putting on display for any spiritual being that's watching. This one belongs to me they have access to the power that belongs to me and that power is greater than the power that you have in all of your being in all of your being it goes on to say in verse 2 after fasting 40 days and 40 nights jesus was hungry and the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread and jesus answered it is written man should not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god in this this passage that Jesus is quoting back to his tempter comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, all the verses we're going to read that Jesus says back to the devil in this whole passage come from chapters 6 and chapters 8 of Deuteronomy, and we don't know this for sure. It is honestly just my own speculation, but here's my hunch. I think that Jesus had been thinking about that particular truth, about those particular verses, when he entered into the wilderness. It wasn't, there's nothing magical about Deuteronomy six and eight. I think he was just using fresh bread. And I want you to know that no matter where you are and what you're in the middle of a wilderness, you don't have to be like, okay, one time I heard that, like it's the, the magic verse that makes me feel better. I think it's in Philippians or maybe it's in Colossians or maybe it's back here. Like, where is it? And I'm not feeling it. What, what God wants us to use is fresh bread. Anytime we face the enemy, that's what we need is the sword of the spirit. One time uh, we had a staff family, a back-to-back staff family that called Todd and I one night. Their 18-year-old son had uh, confessed to them that he was having, uh, he was struggling with some pornographic thoughts, but he, he said later to us, they're not like normal pornographic thoughts. These are like evil, disgusting. These are like grotesque and the parents, decided they wanted to call in some reinforcements. So they called us and said, would you come pray with our son? We think something's happening that's evil. So as we sat with that family, I said to him, as he was confessing the kinds of things that were going through his mind, and I knew that that would be hard for him to do in front of us, I put my hand on his shoulder just to say, I was about to open my mouth and say, that must be really hard. But when I put my hand on his shoulder, all of a sudden, my mind was filled with some pretty disgusting pornographic thoughts, and I let go of his shoulder like it was a hot potato. And I said to him, "Uh, uh, this is evil. We're dealing with evil right now, and there's only one way to deal with evil. You cut him down with the sword of the spirit. And in that moment, we looked together as the four adults in the room, and I told them, there's not, a, there's not like a magic formula. There's not like a first you read this verse and then you read this verse and then you count to three and then you cross your ankles and then you put on some oil and then you say in Jesus' name and then you don't eat for an hour. Like there's no, don't let anybody sell you that formula for 19.99. Like it's not a thing. The power belongs to God and he has given it to us. We could have opened up to Genesis or Leviticus or Psalms or or Joshua. We could have opened up to a gospel or revelation. What God was asking for us in that moment was to open up our Bibles and use fresh bread. And as that young man later that night became freed of that demonic oppression, it wasn't because of anything that any of us brought to the table. It's because we understood we have to meditate here on fresh bread. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight that says this, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And I just wanna make sure we correct that thought that sometimes in church settings, we talk about how the Israelites wandered around for 40 years, they didn't wander anywhere, God led them. It says it right here, God led them in the wilderness. Why? To humble and test them to know what was in their hearts. Jesus is quoting this because he's saying, I know exactly what's happening. The Israelites were led for 40 years. I'm being led for 40 days. Why? This is a test. I'm gonna demonstrate what it is that's in my heart. And when it counted most, what came out of his mouth was what was in his heart. And I just wanna make sure we get like, clear the relationship between our head, our heart, and our mouth. The Bible has all these verses about our head. Set your mind on things above, renew your thinking, take every fact captive. God set up the system so that it's dependent upon the fresh bread that I am thinking on. My heart is not in charge. If my heart is in charge in the wilderness, are you kidding me? It wants to turn around and run. It wants to do something that feels good. Some days it wants to be strong, some days it's willing to be weak. My heart is not in charge. My head has to have fresh bread. This is the truth, I know the truth, I'm meditating on the truth. Then my heart obeys. And then what comes out of my heart comes out of my mouth. So if you're in a wilderness or a desert and you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, start meditating on fresh bread. That will penetrate your heart, which then overflows in your mouth. When I was in high school, I was involved with the Ministry of Young Life and I loved everything about that. And I one night I came home and we were having this outreach event and I had been telling like the freshmen and the foreign exchange students and my athlete friends and my neighbors and everybody and was telling them all about the outreach in Jesus and I came home all excited about what I had been doing and I was telling my parents all about it and my dad just looked at me and he goes, hmm, I sure hope you're talking to Jesus as much as you're talking about him. And while that temporarily burst my bubble, what he said was wisdom because he knew in my life temptation was coming. And if I was spending a lot of time being busy about the business of Jesus without having spending time talking to Jesus, getting fresh bread from Jesus, when temptation come, I would have nothing to draw from. Like we've got to make sure that we have fresh bread. The devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, which is kind of a funny thing for Satan to say. I just want it to be really clear. He knows our word and he knows how to mess with it. It is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. What the what the devil said is comes from Psalm 91 and it is correct. That's what the psalm says, but he left out a really important line. Psalm really said, Psalm 91 really says, he will command his angels concerning you. The line he left out is to guard you in all your ways. Then they'll lift you, they'll lift you up and they won't let your foot strike against a stone. It was not ever supposed to be a blanket protection. You can go do reckless, chaotic, whatever you want to kind of things. Angels will just turn around and catch you anywhere you go. It was stay in my way, stay in my path, follow my ways. I'm gonna be there with you. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and he says, all this I give to you. Basically, here's a shortcut around the cross. I know what you're about to go do, and I you know how much it's gonna cost you. And if, you want, if you're looking for a way around it, I got, a path, I got an easier path for you. Just bow down and worship me. And that is the 2024 beckon to us today. I got another way. I know what it is that you want. I got a faster path to it. Just bow down and worship me. I'll get you where you wanna go. Our enemy, he wants attention. It's been his deal the whole time. He wants worshiped. He wants us to want what it is that he's offering and then love him for it. And Jesus responded to him, away from me, Satan, which is something we can say too. James one tells us, resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, and the devil left him. And And if it works for Jesus, it'll work for us. And then the angels came to attended him. And I think, let's just remember, there was nobody there witnessing this. Jesus went back to the gospel writers and told, him, told them exactly what it is that happened so that it would be recorded so that we would have it today. Jesus was wanting to make sure that we knew he didn't use some kind of fancy Jesus power in the, in the desert to squelch that tempter like a flea. He used the same exact tools that we have access to today. He used the power of the word that he's given us to. And if we don't hold on to this sword, then we're at risk when we get hungry in the desert. And there's, if there's one uh, common denominator about our wilderness and desert experiences is that we get hungry, that we, f- we need satisfied. And Proverbs 27 says, to the one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. We are utterly susceptible to whatever it is that comes our way, the temptations that come our way, that just make us finally feel like we're not so hungry, but there's only one living bread. I wanted to finish our time together with a story that maybe I've told you before, I don't remember. But if you've heard it now twice, I promise you I've heard it more than that. And it means something to me every time I think about it. It's a lesson a woman taught me about the power of the Word of God. This woman was 30 years my senior. Uh, She was a mentor to me during the 15 years I lived in Mexico. Her name was Martha. And she was someone who had walked through plenty of deserts and wilderness. And I liked how she kept her spiritual integrity in the midst of them. I was watching her in the same way people watch us. I was watching her testimony and her tenderness to the Lord and her dependence upon Him. And I wanted to be around her because she actually, like, smelled good. You know, Paul talks about the aroma of Christ. I could smell the fruits of the Spirit on her. I could smell her self-control, I could smell her joy, I could smell her peace. And when I was around her, I wanted to get as close as I could to her, just rub up against her. This is not how discipleship happens, but I just wanted like as much access to her as I could because I liked what she was carrying. And she ran an orphanage that cared for two little girls who eventually came into my home as foster daughters. And we shared this bond of love over these two little sisters for, almost the whole 15 years that I lived there. And one day, those girls had been in protective custody. Somebody found us, thanks to Facebook, and they began to threaten to take those girls out of our home. And I, most of the time, I just hung up on them, but one Monday, I realized the whole story had escalated a little, and they threatened to come my house on Friday, and they were gonna have the girls removed. And I picked up the phone, and I called Martha. And I told her what what the threat was and that I, was, I wanted her to be there and I wanted her to bring everything that she thought that might be possibly powerful in any kind of showdown we might have with these people. And then I hung up the phone and I spent 25 hours in government offices and with attorneys amassing a case I thought was powerful. That Friday she pulls into our campus and she was still driving herself and asked me if I would carry a bag in her back seat because it was too heavy for her and I thought that was awesome because I also had a really heavy bag and I was like, Yes, I'll get that bag. And I settled her into the dining room with our foster daughters and we waited for these people to arrive. And the best way I can describe them to you is they were like an angry mob of bees. They were just swearing and shouting and threatening the minute I was with them. And I was trying to calm them down and I couldn't, so I just walked into my house. Our houses are made out of cement, so the acoustics were crazy. And they were getting louder and louder and they saw the girls and everything was crazy. So finally, I stood on my own dining room chair and I yelled at the top of my lungs, I think Martha has something she'd like to say. And then everyone looks at her. And I'm sending her all kinds of messages like, hey, I know what's in that bag, get it out right now, let's go to town. But she reaches in her bag and she pulls out her Bible which these people don't show our faith. And I I know sometimes she gets confused, but I'm like, this is real confused if you think we're a Bible study right now. And uh, (laughs) she opens up her Bible and she starts to read out of Psalm one, which is a Psalm about a tree planted in streams of water and in season, it'll bear fruit. It's a beautiful Psalm. And I don't care who you are, some beautiful 80 year old lady starts to read out of her Bible, you just get quiet, right? Maybe there's like a lightning bolt coming your way if you don't. And as the end of the Psalm comes and I think to myself, I would have literally never thought of using a Psalm to get the room's attention, but now that you have, let's get that visitor log out. Let's get the most powerful piece of evidence we have. Let's, let's finish this. She was not hearing what I was sending and she just, just kept going and started to read Psalm two, which is not nearly as quotable about a nation that you know plots in vain or whatever. And then she's, she just keeps going. She reads Psalm three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine. And at this point, the girls and I are kind of slumped back in our chairs because that takes a minute. And there's, I, I like political things. And I was thinking to myself, I think we're like in a spiritual filibuster because like there's a bunch of Psalms in this book. And eventually these people are gonna have to go to the bathroom, right? Like they're gonna get hungry. And, and so we're just like listening. She gets into Psalm 10 and I could tell her voice was landing somewhere. I started to pay attention. She got to the end of Psalm 10 and she said, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of this earth may terrify us no more. Then she closed her Bible and she said, these little girls are daughters of the king most high. You ask them where their father has told them to be. And those girls answered right here where they are. And I don't wanna mischaracterize the story that those people stood up and shook my hand and thanked us for years of service. But they did push away from the table and all the swearing and shouting and screaming started again and the threatening and those girls heard things I never wanted them to to ever hear. But as those people were doing it, they were backing up to my door. So I just like turned around and like opened it. And they were saying terrible things, curses upon us as they got into their car. And I opened up the gate on our ministry campus and they went flying down my driveway. And I close that gate thinking to myself, You've got to be kidding me. I spent 25 hours in government offices, and this lady reads 10 Psalms, and these people are gone. Like, I am ready to go rub up against her and smell her. Like what, like, what is going on? I go running back in the house, and I'm like, You did it. Like, you did it. And she got her Bible, which was a lot bigger than mine, and stuck that thing right up in my face. And she said, Don't you ever forget something. This is the only sword we ever take into battle. I'm like, oh. She's right, you are going to find yourself in deserts and wildernesses, and there is gonna be temptation that says, here's the off-ramp, here's what you need instead, here's how I can make you feel better, take this offer instead, get out here, or better yet, don't pay attention to any of it, let your heart get harder and harder and harder and harder and bitter, frustrated. My gosh, Jesus has another way And in this January 2024 season of reset and renew and revisit our spiritual habits, ask ourselves, are we prioritizing our connection with the Father? Is fresh bread, as I'm counting my steps and my calories and my credit card, like am I I paying attention to how much I am putting fresh bread into my mind? It's the only way I know how to get a path through. It's the only way that my heart ends up doing the right thing. Otherwise, it is sinful and fickle and often wants the wrong stuff. But if I have fresh bread in my heart that got there from my mind, then when I open my mouth, I know how to say, get away from me, Satan. I know how to say, it is written. And I will look back later on the season that I'm in and I will remember it fondly, not because the circumstances were easy. Almost always I would want to change the circumstance but because the communion with our Father was real. May we prioritize our relationship over our comfort, both now and forever. Would you pray with me? Oh Jesus, I can't believe the authority that you give us, that kind of power to fight our own sin natures and the temptation that threatens us. So Jesus right now with the power and authority that we have together as co-heirs with you I ask that you would release an anointing on this community both here in the house and online that they would have an appetite for, for your word for this fresh bread that they would lift their eyes above the rocks and the caves and the mountains and the wilderness and they would say you, you lead me. I don't care how long it takes, you lead me. You test my heart. You know me, I am yours. And then Lord, from the bread and the water that you give to us, may we give it away. As we encounter people who are in their own deserts and wilderness, may we give them the bread and the water that you first gave to us. May we be shade to those with whom you have called us because you have shaded us. And may it stand as a testimony, not to ourselves, but to you, our Father. So I pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. If you're new uh, here to North Star, I wanna explain what's gonna happen next. I'd like to invite the prayer teams to come forward. And in the most uh, respectful way possible, what follows is a bit of a three-ring circus. You can stay in your seat and you can worship and our band is gonna lead us in worship. And in this time of worship, respond to him, cry out to him. Or you may be thinking about a wilderness, a desert that you're in or someone you love is in and you want these folks to pray with you. You need fresh bread, they'll give it to you. This is part of their commitment to the role that they have. They are eating fresh bread and they'll give it to you. So come and get prayer with them. They would love to pray with you. You can also go to the communion tables. And when I go to communion, I think about two things, confession and commitment. And I go to that table and I tell him about all the things and ways in which I chose my own way over his. And I ask him to forgive me. And he says he's faithful and just and will do it. And then I recommit my heart to him. Lord, I'm yours, I'm all yours. Do with me this day, this week as you will. So whether you stay in worship, whether you take communion, whether you get prayer, this is a time to response. This is the main course of our time together.